Turn in your Bible, please, with me to 1 Samuel and chapter 28. I shall read verse 1 through 6 for our consideration in the message this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 28. Those of you that know your Bible will know where it is that we have broken in to the story, the history of Israel, of Saul, of David, and of this nation of Philistines. We break in and take up the record of this history at verse 1 of chapter 28. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not. Neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Turn with me again, if you will, please, and please stand with me. Sing together number 445 in your hymnal, 445. Sky. 
Immortals mark its pace and use the hours of light for no its maker can command an instant endless night give glory to the lord who rules the rolling spear submissive at his footstool bow and see salvation there then shall new luster break through all the heavy gloom and lead you to a changing light in your celestial home. Thank you. Be seated. I've taken the liberty this morning again to divert our attention just one more week from our studies in the judges of Israel and to look together at God's word in a different text from that. This morning for just a short message. I will draw your attention again to this portion which I read for you of the record in 1 Samuel chapter 28. My message this morning is simple and short and I hope direct. With no attempt at being ingenious, no attempt at craft, I would come to you today as best I can know my own heart, only with a pastoral concern for the hearts of every one of you. I would have you to take in to your consideration this morning five distinct views found in the brief span of these six verses and thus the title to my message, Five Distinct Views. I said there's no attempt to be ingenious or crafty. The first of those distinct views that I would set before your mind this morning, and I have given this in the form of an outline with alliteration simply to make it more perceptible and easy to remember from this text. But of these five distinct views, I would give you first this one, number one, I would show you a view of a saint in compromise. A saint in compromise. 
And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou surely that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. I set before you this morning the view of a saint in compromise. One of the nation, one of the nation of Israel's most ancient and tenacious enemies has, like a wild and vicious beast in the jungle, smelled the weakness of Saul and of Israel and have rallied their armies to come at last and crush them once and for all. In the preparations to that inevitable assault, Achish, the king in Gath, in verse 1 of our text, and verse 2, comes to David and confirms David's loyalty in the upcoming war with Israel. Did I say war with Israel? God's people? Yes, I did. Did I say David? God's anointed for Israel? Yes, I did. Did I say loyalty to a Philistine enemy of God and of God's people? Yes, I did. Achish comes to David to verify his loyalty <laughs> in a war against God's people. Yes, that's what I said. That's what the scripture said. But how can this be? Oh, here is our first view of the five. It is the view of a saint in compromise. A saint who's been compromised. David is surely here in a terrible and awkward place. Ingratiated as he is to a pagan enemy of God, David is hanging tenuously in the jaws of a moral dilemma. But how so? How could such a wretched situation come about in this man's life? Well, thankfully we have not far to go to find the answer. Just back one chapter 
to chapter 27 and verse 1 and 2. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day at the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. And David arose and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. How did David find himself in such a compromised dilemma in chapter 28? The answer is to be found simply in the first verses of chapter 27. He fled with fear. One commentator said, Better surely for David to have lived by faith in the forests and caves of Judea than to live by sight and behave like a freebooter in the land of heathen Philistines. His stay at Ziglag the town assigned to him by King Achish marks a bad period in the life of David. Understatement for sure. Oh, this writer says, Lord, what is in a man? What is in a man? When thou didst not hold up the goings of thy servant, into what miry places did he stray? Into what a ditch did he fall? When his faith failed, what a breakdown of his character and conduct. Restraint of prayer, self-direction, and then rapine, bloodshedding, and falsehood. What are we that we should have immunity from the similar deterioration of character if we give way to unbelief. A Christian in good repute takes some course that we should have thought incredible. Yes, even impossible. We ask in amazement, what infatuation seized him? Or can it be that he was always insincere and wicked at heart under a cloak of seeming goodness? Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever seen somebody, a Christian of great repute? Somebody you had confidence in? And then they're off somewhere in something that he says is incredible, even unbelievable. And then you start to ponder in yourselves, what in the world, what infatuation has seized them? What's come over them? What's happened? Well, maybe they were a hypocrite all along and never a true believer. Have you ever been there? Well, this writer says the real clue to his misconduct lies here. He lost his whole Oh God, out there running from Saul, 
running from cave to cave, running from forest to forest, running here, running there, trying to stay down, trying to keep back Saul from learning his whereabouts. Out there, out there, out there, struggling and running. He lost his hold on God. And his faith failed him. This writer said he fell through unbelief, allowed himself to doubt whether God would or could keep him. Mm. Listen to this. He took to trusting and keeping himself. I know what I'll do, he said in chapter 27. I'll go over there to the bliss states. My reputation precedes me. They'll recognize my ability. And I'll submit myself to the king there. This writer said in the words that laid on my heart heavy words gripped me as I hope they'll grip you when he said here's the whole list, the whole the whole problem described the whole answer lies in this he lost his hold on God I wonder if there's any among us this morning that's lost your hold on God You've been in a place where you've had to struggle and it's been uncomfortable and you've had the troubles and in the midst of it all, unbelief has crept up and you've lost your hold on God. Remember that nothing is so hard to extract from the human heart as unbelief. Oh, listen, I like this. This writer, he talks about our favorite writer, dear old Bunyan. He said in his book of the Holy War, Bunyan shows that when the town of Mansoul was in the devil's power, incredulity was first made alderman and then Lord Mayor. And when Emmanuel took the town, incredulity unbelief that is was doomed to execution but he managed to break out of prison and lurked in hiding places where he couldn't be found when the devil assaulted the town in the hopes of retaking it oh listen old incredulity reappeared and was made general of the army after the assailing army was defeated and many of the officers and soldiers in it were put to death, unbelief still evaded capture. He did yet dwell in man's soul, though it was in dens and holes. Hmm. And then this commentator said, David's false step in yielding to unwarrantable fear followed as it was by actions unworthy of his fair frame, was now developing 
to a crisis in which the principles of his entire life would be put into an unavoidable test. The king comes, Achish, and says, Now, David, I need you to reassure me of your loyalty. Oh, David, <laughs> you've sought refreshment from your struggles in the presence of God's enemies. Hmm. Have we ever done that? David said, I need relief from this thing. I need relief from this thing. I'm going over to Philistine and get some relief. I said I was going to preach this morning pastorally to you. Can I just pause here and say I fear at times for some of you. Listen to me. As surely as you take up comfortable residence among God's enemies, sooner or later, they're going to ask you to join them in something that's in conflict with God's ways. There you have it. I'm going to say it again. As surely as you take up comfortable residence and converse with among God's enemies, and I don't care if they're your own father, mother, brother, sister, Family, I don't care who they are, as soon as you feel yourself comfortably residing among God's enemies, sooner or later, they're going to come to you and ask you to do things that are against God's ways. And you're going to be in a moral dilemma. Because you're a saint. Compromise. Compromise yourself by being in their presence. Here it is in our text. A saint compromised. But wait, before we pass on to our second view, I want you to notice the timing of this providence. The older I get, the more I see in God's let me show you something about the timing of this providence coming together in chapter 28. First of all, the Philistines are emboldened to war. Secondly, Saul is weak and impotent to resist them. And thirdly, David is in a compromised state with God's enemies. And all of these things have come together all at one time. <laughs> oh, God's providence. Well, did someone say, providence has a manifest tendency to allow troubles 
to cross the path of the wrongdoer just when for his own purposes it is most undesirable. Hosea 2 and verse 6 said, Behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. I'll hedge up thy way with thorns. God has hedged up David's way. Providence has converged these circumstances to put him in a bad place at a bad time. How well that someone said that. Providence has a manifest tendency. A manifest tendency to allow troubles to cross the path of the wrongdoer just when they lead it least. That text in Hosea 2 and verse 6, Behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns is a prediction likely to be fulfilled in the lives of rulers and nations that are bent on crooked courses of conduct, but nor can individuals escape the law of providential vexation. Boy, I love that phrase. John, had you ever heard that phrase before? The law of providential vexation. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Oh, listen, he said... He said, neither can individuals in our individual lives will never escape the law of providential vexation when we practice deceit or cherish an impenitent state. Hmm. A man's sin will be sure to find rebuke in forms that he could not foresee. It is very inconvenient to be on the wrong side in the moral conflicts of life. Good men can bear trouble in patience, knowing that trouble is as truly helpful to him as is joy. But wicked men not only lose the support of a clear conscience, but have to learn that the end for which they have striven will be frustrated. Hmm. The timing. The timing. For this compromised saint. Here's a view that would reward our attention this morning. A saint in compromise. But now could I just draw your attention and I'll try to move more quickly. In our text, could I give you a second view? Could I show you a seer, S-E-E-R, seer, in a casket? We got a saint in compromise in this text. But then, verse 3, we've got a seer in a casket. And Samuel was dead. And all Israel had lamented him and buried him. God has shut up the fountain of heaven's light 
God has shut up the fountain of heaven's light. Abiathar, you'll remember in the history, Abiathar, the priest of God, had fled with David and took the Urim and Thummim with him. God's seer, the one that could see, God gave him the visions, what to do, what not to do, where to go, where not to go. God's seer is in a casket. God has shut up the fountain of heaven's light. Oh, can I just tell you that when God shuts the window, no light will ever be seen. When God shuts the window. God is, our God is light, 1 John 1, 5. But our sins, Isaiah 5, 59, 2. Isaiah 59, 2, our sins have separated between us and our God. And the seer is in a casket. When God buries his mouthpieces, nothing but darkness prevails. And you can just apply that to tomorrow's headlines or yesterday's headlines or the next year's headlines or whatever you want to apply it to. I'm telling you again, when God buries his mouthpieces, nothing but darkness prevails. We got a seer in a casket. Now there's a view. Now there's a thing to view. Pray the Lord of the harvest, Matthew 9 verse 38. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers. Oh, could I just say it once more? God shut up the fountain of heaven's light. There's a seer in the casket. Now there's a view. But I give you a third view this morning. There's a society in conflict. Verse 1. It came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare. To fight with Israel. There's a society in conflict in view here. Could I just tell you that the inevitable fruit of sin is always conflict. When righteousness prevails, peace prevails. Over and over again we see it in the national life of Israel. When righteousness prevails, peace prevails. And when unrighteousness prevails and saints are compromised and seers are in a casket, then there's going to be a society in conflict. Over and over again we see it not only in the national life of Israel, but over and over again we've seen it in the history of nations, have we not? At some point along the way, I don't know exactly where, somewhere down the road, Brother John, I'm going to have him bring us a lecture in our afternoon class about the Baptist influence on liberty. When righteousness prevails, peace prevails. When righteousness falls away, conflict 
is the inevitable result. Over and over and over again, we've seen it in our own experience, have we not? Luke chapter 8 and verse 35, you remember that maniac, that maniac, all the conflict, not only in himself, but in his family and in his neighborhood. What a conflict. When we get to verse 35, where do we find him? Oh, clothed. Clothed and in his right mind. Peace prevailed. We got a saying in compromise. We got a seer in a casket. We got a society in conflict. Oh, what a view. I give you a fourth view. We got a sinner. In crisis. Verse 5. And when Saul saw the host of the Blistines, he was afraid. And his heart greatly troubled. We got a sinner in crisis. <laughs> oh, what is there left to a man's heart? When God has forsaken him. Samuel was dead, verse 3. And Saul had put away the spirits, those that were familiar with familiar spirits. And Saul inquired of the Lord, verse 6. But the Lord didn't answer him, not by dreams, not by urine, not by prophets. And the seer's in a casket. And the Lord's saying absolutely nothing. Can I just warn you this morning, sinner? What's going to be left for you when God has forsaken you? Nothing but terror. We got a sinner in crisis right here. Oh, sinner, what will you say? When God says nothing to all your prayers. Saul saw the host of the Philistines. He was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And Saul inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered him not. What are you going to do when God says nothing? You start crying. Saul's heart grows harder in the wake of God's silence. Look at verse 7. I didn't read it. Saul said unto the servant, Seek me a woman that has a familiar spirit. Oh, his heart grew even worse. Harder. Because of what, brother? So because God wouldn't Talk to him. What are you going to do when God will not talk to you anymore? What are you going to do when God won't talk to you anymore? Hebrews 3 and verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said today, 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 if you will hear his voice, 
Harden not your hearts as in the day as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my words forty years. Oh, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Take heed, sinner, this morning. Take heed. There's a sinner in crisis here. I'd have you to view. God will not speak to him. Hmm. But finally, allow me one more view in this text. I could not avoid it, though it did not fall in our original six verses. It falls down in verse 17 and 18. Could I give you this last view? Could I allow you to take a view of a sovereign in covenant? We've seen a saint in compromise. A seer in a casket. A society in conflict. A sinner in crisis, but now and last. I'd show you a sovereign in covenant. Listen to this, verse 17. And the Lord hath done to him as he swear by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyedest not the voice of the Lord nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. The key words in verse 17, two words, three words, spake by me. God had covenanted a promise. Now listen. Oh yes, I said covenant. I used that word, covenant. Because you see, all of God's promises, all of God's promises are yea and amen. Second Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. And we like to focus on those blessed promises, don't we? <laughs> I do. Oh yes. Whoa! The blessed promises of posterity and prosperity for the righteousness. The promises of prosperity for righteousness. Oh, that's a covenant we love to talk about. That sovereign covenant. We like to talk about the blessed promises of eternal life for a living faith. And I say hallelujah. I'll shout with you. Oh, I like to talk about the sovereign in covenant by living faith. Oh, we like to talk about the blessed promises of eternal joys at the Father's right hand, Psalm 16 and verse 8. Oh, the blessed sovereign promises, sovereign covenant, yes, sovereign in covenant to give us eternal joys at the right hand of the Father. 
But wait a minute. These were promises too. The same God that promised all these blessings for obedience promised curses for disobedience. I said we've got a sovereign in covenant here. Take a view of that. <laughs> oh yes, I said covenant. <laughs> these were promises in verse 16 and 17. He promised him Saul, if you don't obey me, I'll rip the kingdom from you and give it to another. And I'll curse you. Sinner, sinner friend, hear me this morning. Whether you will have it or not, whether you will own it or not, whether you even know it or not, God has covenanted with you. God has covenanted with you. You say, what's the covenant? What's the terms of it? The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Everybody loves John chapter 3. And I do too. John chapter 3, but look at verses 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation. Light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Oh yes. Hebrews. Chapter 9. That well known verse. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. As it is appointed unto men once to die. After this. Judgment. That's a promise. That's a promise. That's a sovereign covenant. Oh. We get over here to verse 17 and 18 of this chapter. I give you a view of a sovereign in covenant. Five distinct views this morning. A saint in compromise. A seer in a casket. A society in conflict. A sinner in crisis. A sovereign in covenant. Five Distinct views in this chapter. If you would take your hymnal and stand with me, please. Turn and sing with me number 451. While life prolongs its precious light, mercy is found and peace is given. But soon, awesome, the approaching night shall blot out every hope of heaven. Stand with me.
precious light. Mercy is found and peace is given, but soon or soon approaching night shall blot out every hope of while God invites, how blessed the day, how sweet the gospel's charming sound. Come sinners, haste, oh haste away, while yet a pardoning God is found. Soon born on time's most rapid wing Shall death command you to the grave Before his power your spirit bring And none be found to hear or say in that long land of deep despair, no Sabbath's heavenly light shall rise, no God reward your bitter prayer, no Savior call you to the sky. Now God invites, how blessed the day, how sweet the gospel's charming sound. Come sinners, haste, oh haste away, while yet a pardoning God is found.